Welcome back to another episode of Impact Is Own. I'm your host, Michael Markach, alongside my beat members once again, Brendan Shabath, Luca Maloney. And it's been a couple of weeks, guys. It, it's been a long couple weeks here on the campus of Michigan State University, but it's good to be back in studio and just good to be back on campus as a whole and be able to just talk about this men's basketball team with you guys that uh, it's coming off a pretty big win the other night. Yeah, that win against Indiana was one that was uh, much needed, and uh, it does feel good to kind of get sort of back to a routine. Things certainly aren't normal, but there's bits and pieces of normal here and there in the two hours uh, on Tuesday night with the win over Indiana was certainly uh, a normal environment for Breslin Center, which was rocking, and uh, a Michigan State win felt really good. Yeah, I mean, for a 9 p.m. game on a Tuesday night, it was packed. You wouldn't even tell <laughs> that it was that late. I mean, we didn't get out of the the arena until uh, 12.30, uh, 1 in the morning. But it just meant a lot to see both teams really go at it. Michigan State obviously playing with a lot on their shoulders. And to be able to come out with a win, it was just good to see. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like after that game ended the other night, really nobody wanted to leave. You just saw a lot of fans sticking around, especially Michigan State fans. I don't know if you guys saw the video circulating around of the Indiana fan in the stands on his phone, and he was, like, texting somebody, and he was saying how this was, like, the loudest environment he'd ever been in in his life. And, again, this is a guy who probably has been to Assembly Hall quite often when that place gets rocking. Yeah, he was saying there was loud. And he was saying there was nothing like the Breslin Center the other night. So, I mean, it definitely lived up to the environment, and I think – as Tom Izzo liked to put it, it was a, it was a good hug for about 15,000 people and whoever was in the arena that night as we are still recovering from the tragic events of just about 10 days ago um, on this campus. So we're looking to keep rebuilding, keep moving forward um, while, you know, still remembering those events and those that we lost and those that are still fighting for their lives. But there's still a lot to get into. So let's get right into it. The last three games for Michigan State, uh, this goes back still a couple of weeks because going back to that Ohio State game that they played back on February, what was it, 12th, I think? They're, they beat Ohio State that afternoon by 21 points, 62-41, to 41, that it, in a game that feels like it was a lifetime ago. And then they go on the road, obviously, Saturday night, lose that game to Michigan on the 12-0 run at the final, over the final, like, two three minutes they lose that game and then obviously the win the other night on Tuesday 80 to 65 versus Indiana what have been I guess your guys's takeaways from the last few games for Michigan State um they've been two and one obviously in those two games three games but I think they've looked okay would you guys agree it's tough to tell because obviously the Michigan game at Ann Arbor was a very emotional moment for the players and for everybody involved so it was really hard to judge uh, the players on the performance, uh, you know, it was a 40-minute game. They played for 38 minutes. You know, at the last minute and 10, they were they were no longer there, and Michigan took over, you know, rightfully so. They played good basketball. They were determined, uh, and they executed very well and down the stretch. And, and for that reason, it's hard to judge Michigan State based on that performance. And obviously the game before that Wednesday it was supposed to be Minnesota, obviously got postponed we couldn't see it so we don't we didn't really see this Michigan State team back to a normal routine uh, uh, since Ohio since the trip to Columbus but what we saw against Indiana was a team that was very sharp that wasn't afraid to shoot from anywhere on the floor and uh, they went to the free throw line a lot of times 19 19 times and for Michigan State that has been something that we haven't seen at all this season, just getting fouls down the lane and going to the line. Yeah, I think, you know, when you remove the violence that happened on February 13th here at Michigan State, this is kind of what we expected the Spartans to do. We expected a win at Ohio State. Obviously, we don't get the Minnesota game, but that game at Michigan was expected to be a loss, and obviously you always want to beat Michigan, and as Tom put it, you want the storybook ending for that game, but that's just not how it goes. I think my biggest takeaway from that is just how I think lucky we are as students to be represented athletically by that team and how proud we should be of them because um, they had to do you know, one of the hardest things that any of us have had to do, and that's get back to normal um, 
much sooner than a lot of us. You know, I know a lot of people, a lot of students this week haven't gone to class or have gone to very few classes. And those guys, before anybody else, um, along with some of the other athletic teams here, we talk about hockey, women's basketball, uh, men's and women's tennis as well, um, had to get back to normal and represent Michigan State and in, in and try to represent them in a positive way. And I think the basketball team did that. Um, I was very proud of the way they went out there and fought. I was so surprised at how they started that game. I mean, they came out swinging. Um, and from an X's and O's standpoint, it was a good 38 minutes, and unfortunately, um, against Michigan in this rivalry game and this season in the Big Ten, you need 40 good minutes, um, and they just didn't have that. And at the end, down the stretch, uh, Michigan was able to pull away. But that was that was a good a good game, an entertaining night, an emotional night, um, and one that I think no matter who you root for, you should be proud of if you're a, a fan of either team to have witnessed it and been a part of it in some way. Yeah, and I that game really was it was an emotional night. I mean, Brendan and I were there. We called that game from the Chrysler Center and just the overwhelming amount of support that not only we felt, but we know that the team felt and just every member of this MSU and Spartan community there, you could just feel it. It was it was all genuine. It wasn't like they were trying to put on an act or anything. It was all I mean, it was surreal to be to be to be real and it was just it was really incredible to see like two fan bases in two universities getting together like that and the score of the game literally just didn't matter. Like at the end of the game nobody cared about what the score was. I mean, obviously Thomas was a little frustrated with the fact that they couldn't finish, but I mean overall they put up 72 points and that's something like with this offense. I know Brendan and I you have talked you and I have talked about it. We've been looking for them to show offense here the last few weeks and over these last three games. I mean, only 62 points in that win against Ohio State. That was a sloppy game that really doesn't mean much. But 72 and 80 in the last two games, like that's the potential that this offense truly has. We just haven't seen it all year, but it's finally starting to turn a page with that little extra boost it seems like this team's playing with. Yeah, I mean, Joey Hauser, I think going into the Indiana game, had three straight 20-point games. Tyson Walker finally came around against Indiana as well. Um, so that really really helped Michigan State. The, the three balls started to fall a little bit more against Indiana. I think they were 11 of 21 or something like that, or 10 of 21. 10 for 21. Yeah, 10 of 21. So um, that'll certainly help your offense if you can make nearly 50% of your threes. Um, and, man, they just shoot really well in that building, and opponents do not. So uh, that usually goes well for Michigan State. But, yeah, I think – there has been, I think it was slow to show itself against Indiana, and I think they showed it a lot better for the full stretch against Michigan movement on offense. Um, they were very stagnant in the, in the start of the game on Tuesday night, and a lot of iso ball and a lot of late shot clock attempts. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the first half and into the second half, they started moving it around more. They started passing the ball more. And they got a lot of buckets off of that. The centers were playing really well. Um, Jackson Kohler, Monty Sissoko maybe didn't get on the score sheet as much, but had a few. each had separate good stints of minutes. And um, it was finally like, look what happens when you pass the ball. Look what happens when you move it. And uh, they were able to, to, to win that game against Indiana and put up, put up 80 against a really good defensive team in the Hoosiers. I was really impressed with them at Assembly Hall, was really impressed with them on Tuesday night as well. Um, they're going to be uh, annoying to some people in the postseason for sure. Yeah, I mean, they have big guards down the stretch, but for Michigan State, I think the biggest thing for me was that they got rid of the lazy turnovers early in the game when they started to pick up the pace again, and like Brennan said, the movement started coming back on the floor. Um, it eliminated all of that, So, and you saw more from the role players in this game too, Kohler, Trey Holloman, getting really good minutes, and although they didn't get on the score sheet as much as they they would have liked to, they did make impactful plays throughout the game. Yeah, and in that Indiana game, we just, like Brendan talked about, just the slow start they got off to. I think they were down 8 nothing to start that game. Yeah, it, was, it was as much as 12-5, uh, to five, yeah. uh, like in the like six minutes in. Yeah, and I mean, it felt like one of those games that could get away from them. Uh, it felt kind of like they came out very opposite to how they came out in Ann Arbor, but Tyson Walker in that first half really pushed Michigan State 
back into the game and then eventually into the lead. He hit four big three-pointers in that first and that half. Was, yeah, and that was in the last three, four minutes yeah. of the game where Tyson just started chucking them up. They, they were falling in. And next thing you know, Michigan State is back level 24-24 with Indiana. Jackson Kohler gets that bucket to put them ahead, and obviously Tyson Walker gets the final bucket to end the half. Michigan State goes into the break uh, with a lead that, you know, I, I think themselves were probably surprised to see. Yeah. Could, I, could you imagine if Jaden Akins made that half? That's what I was just about halftime? to say. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. And he, he just missed it. I mean, it went off the back iron. Yeah. It was online, too, just a little too strong. Yeah. It, that, that would have been absolutely, I mean, it would have felt storybook for him to hit that right, shot right. in that moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tyson Walker, the, the night he had the other night, it was just, Brendan and I remember just watching it, calling the game. He was, it just didn't matter. He had no filter. He was pulling up from the logo. He was pulling up from deep on the wing. He was doing his little sidestep thing. That one that he hit, I think it was the first one that he hit of the four where he did the little pump fake and then sidestep to the right and then kind of off one foot fading back. I mean, that's, he loves that shot, but it doesn't normally go in and he, he just, he was feeling it, and as Brendan said, I think during the broadcast, every single time he put one up, you just had a feeling, okay, this time it's not going in, and it just continually went through. Right, you just, I mean, I think after the first one, they were all just heat checks, and he, w- <laughs> yeah. I think he didn't know if they were going in or not, and he said, well, we'll, we'll figure it out, and we'll see, and sure enough, yeah, they, no, just, they just it, kept going it, down. Yeah, Sometimes you just get stop. in that groove. Yeah, no, it, that didn't stop for Tyson. Um, it well, it eventually stopped after he hit one and he nailed one, and then kind of got like a cramp right there on his leg. Yeah, and then asked to be subbed out. And then after that, the the shot selection went down for Tyson. You know, he was just passing the ball more. But it was good to see for from Tyson Walker. Uh, you know, the the crowd needed a boost like that of a of a three point shot maker that just livened up the atmosphere. Yeah, and I, I think. This team needs that version of Tyson Walker. We we talk about all the time on this show how he's just had such a roller coaster of a season. He's had some very high highs and he's had some really low lows, but he just seems like that player that late in the game, he's the guy you're going to go to to get that bucket. Whether or not he wants to be that guy, that's what Michigan State's looking for him to be. And he didn't really need to be that guy the other night because they were up by so much late anyway, but... They don't win that game without Tyson Walker, obviously, but I it just feels like down the stretch, you got to try to find that Tyson Walker that you saw late last season, especially getting into the Big Ten tournament, that when you saw him have that really good game against Maryland, have that really good game against Wisconsin, and who knows what could have happened if he would have stayed healthy for that Purdue game. Yeah, for me, the I was very impressed with how A.J. handled himself in the final minutes of the second half. I think his ball handling, I mean, he had a lot of pressure on him. Indiana was, you know, full court press in those final five minutes. And he handled himself really well. The, you know, the turnovers were for him were early in the game. You know, probably got a big, um, a big earful from Tom Izzo and the rest of the coaches in between that. And obviously made those free throws late in the game that sealed the victory. So A.J. Hogarth's performance for me, that was a step up for him. It really did seem like he handled himself a lot better. I was just about to say, where did AJ Hogard get twenty two points from? It was quiet. It really seven, was. What was it? Seventeen in the second half. Yeah, yeah. He was just taking his matchup to the to the rim like every single time he saw it. He because the problem was I early in the second half, right? Jalen Hutchinson picked up his third, I believe or something like that. So and he knew that, and Hogard would literally just take him off the dribble every single time. Well, no, because Hutchinson only had two oh, only fouls. Did. Maybe then maybe he had cop on him a few times. Yeah, that might have been it. But because cop cop fouled out, out five. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just he knew that he had the matchup, and of course he had that one three pointer that he hit um, after a offensive rebound, kind of a broken play, kind of kick it back out to him, and he knocks it down. I and mean, that was the one sequence where everybody from Michigan State was hitting a three. I think in the span of like a minute or like two minutes, every starter except for Maudie, hit a three pointer. From yeah, in like that span, yeah, it was like Aikens Joey and Aikens before, and Walker, yep. and, and then Hogard hit one. Yeah. Um, it was just one of those nights. But I want to get into Joey Hauser just a little bit more because, especially in the last few games, obviously we talked about his stretch of games with twenty plus points. But he really has been the straw that stirs the drink, right, for this Michigan State yeah. offense. The first player 
at Michigan State to have a stretch like that since Cassius Winston. Yeah, no, and what did I tell you at the beginning of this season with uh, you know the little article that I had on Joey? I was like, he's going to be the guy that gets things going for Michigan State. He's going to be a reliable asset to this team when they need him the most. And there you go. You know, it, I mean, like you said, Michael, he had the first uh, twenty point three game stretch since Cassius Winston. You know, that's not easy to do. That's not a easy shoes to fill. And you know, the people love Joey, and Joey loves everyone here. Joey loves the people. Joey does. <laughs> Fedora Joe. Fedora Joe's a fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it was a it was an odd. I think with the the gap between the Ohio State game and then the the Michigan game for Hauser, it kind of made it go a little quiet. Um, the fact that he had three straight 20-point games, it didn't really feel like it. But he, you know, when we talk about Michigan State and we talk about the three-point shooting, there's always the conversation about defense. They're one of the better three-point defense teams in the country, let alone in the Big Ten. But I don't want to say they live and die by the three, but there is a positive correlation between lost games and poor nights shooting from deep. And to go further into that positive correlation, there's positive correlation between Michigan State poor nights shooting from deep and Joey Hauser poor nights shooting from deep. I mean, when you think about it, this Michigan State team really doesn't have that many consistent three-point shooters. Obviously, it's Hauser. I think you add in Jaden Akins. I don't even know that Walker necessarily fits the bill for someone who you would count as a three-point shooter. He's more a threat off the pick and roll and in the mid-range, and when he gets hot, it's going to extend beyond the arc. But Tyson is not a catch-and-shoot three-pointer kind of guy. Um, not necessarily off the pick and roll. Is he going to shoot it from deep? It, 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 that's more, like I said, when he gets going, he can extend the mid-range game further. But so there's a lot riding on Joey Hauser and the success of the team based on how he's shooting. And you look at the Ohio State game. He goes six for nine and has 22 points and they win. And, you know, last night he was only, or not last night, uh, against Indiana on Tuesday night. He was only two for seven, but then you got Tyson to heat up and stretch it a little bit. Um, I think he went four for five or four for six against Maryland, um, Hauser did. So he has a lot riding on him, but I think he is in a much better spot this year better than any year he's ever played college basketball to handle that load um, and just keep letting it fly. And, you know, anytime Joey Hauser misses, it's not usually bad either. Like, I could, I can think of one bad Joey Hauser miss this year, and that was the Michigan game when there were, like, five bad, yeah, <laughs> bad just... misses. But, you know, most of his always at least look good the, the whole way, and it's either front iron online or back iron online and or a, a toilet bowl out or a rattle out or something. But... Um, he's in a good spot to handle that pressure of being the main three-point guy, and he's done a good job. He just needs to keep it up. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, uh, Tom Izzo mentioned it after the Indiana game, he had a big defensive workload against uh, the Hoosiers, and you know that kind of also limited his offense and also allowed Tyson, AJ, Jaden Akins to scramble more on offense because the workload that Joey did, you know, playing that two-man uh, on defense – um, si- you know, sizing up against Tracy Jackson Davis, who had a spectacular game once again, one of the one of the better big men in this league, you in know, the country, and and the- and, Ray- <laughs> and Race Thompson. Race Thompson Ray- was a non-factor in Bloomington for these two teams. I mean, I think he played five minutes, but had zeros in the score box. Um, but he was a much bigger factor in this one, and much more of a threat that they were worried about. And Hauser had a a, a pretty hefty load with Thompson as well, and that's. Not easy to ask of a guy like Hauser who's not as big or strong or athletic as some other wings or players that play his same position in this league to do all that and turn around and knock down some threes on offense. Um, so Tom brought up a good point when, when he mentioned that, and that's where Michigan State um, was able to benefit off a big game from Tyson. Absolutely. And I think the uh, going off of that with how he played defensively the other night against Indiana, it was kind of nice to see after the game he kind of had against Michigan, right? Because in the second half of that game, Michigan decides to go super big and put Dickinson and Reed on the floor at the same time, which is not something we've seen them do often. But honestly, I think it was a great decision. They knew that Michigan State didn't have the resources to keep well, up Maudie with it. Had fouled out and Maudie fouled point. out. Yeah. 
And so Joey was guarding Hunter Dickinson, and it's like, yeah, that's just not going to work. And then yeah. you could put Tars Reed Jr. down there, who's bigger than Dickinson is, right. and it's just a mismatch all around, and it was just a tough night for Joey defensively. So it was nice to see him kind of bounce back with someone who's a little bit more his size, maybe a little bit more bigger, but be able to play a very tough role of being manned up with Race Thompson but also being responsible for double-teaming TJD almost every single time. Uh, I thought he held up pretty well because you look at you look at Jackson Davis and his box score. He put up nineteen seven and five, but like also had seven turnovers. It just it was a pedestrian night for him as as much as you know, right. Yeah, most, as most much players as, be like that's a great as, night. As much as pedestrian nineteen yeah. is, you know, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he is a big facilitator in this team. I mean, for a center, he leads the team in assists. Yeah, it's like you, you don't find that. He leads in, them in it, every it, major category. Yeah, like you don't yeah. find that in almost any team at, at this level. You well, know. especially for a team that's top 15 in the country. I mean, yeah. you know, you go to some mid-major team that's 6-16 six and 16 on the year, like, okay, you, you might find a star player who leads them everywhere. But mm-hmm. for an Indiana team who is trying to make an NCAA tournament run, to have Trace Jackson Davis lead them in all these categories is just astonishing. Yeah, no, and he's an, athle- he's an athletic big guy, but he's not essentially huge either, you know. He, no. he stands about he's the same... Nine. Yeah, he stands at about the same stature as Mati Sissoko. He's he's a lot slimmer. He's got longer arms. But, he's faster, and, and he's faster. But he's improved in his game as well. You know, it's it's taken him some years to be where he's at right now in terms of his passing and moving ability that wasn't there before necessarily. And he's taking that step up. And he's just a very good player all around. If I can go ahead and derail this conversation real quick, Tom. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tom brought up something interesting about Trace Jackson Davis that I just I don't understand totally, and the fact that you know he he. In both the media availability before the game, which I believe was on Monday, and then the presser after the game on Tuesday, both times he mentioned that Trace Jackson Davis should be an exemplary model of what players in college basketball want. A guy who took steps each year and then in this past year took a big leap to get better and become one of the best players in the country. Um, and that's, you know, Tom makes a good point and he's right about that. And that's the, the model that Tom has had in this program for the last 28 years. But we're kidding ourselves if we say the NCAA is not a stepping stone for something bigger. And I don't see Trace Jackson Davis anywhere on mock draft boards right now. Yeah, I mean, he's not necessarily, you know, an NBA-level talent right now either. Not at the center position, he's not. not And Well, and he's also, what, like 26 now? 25? It's not also just that, but have you guys ever seen him take a jump shot from anywhere above the free throw line at all. Like, have you even seen him take a mid-range jumper? I don't think I can think of a Trace Jackson Davis jump shot that I've seen in yeah, person. Yeah, from outside, that's what like, I'm saying. outside like, like 10 right. feet. No if way. you're yeah. going to play in the NBA at this level, like doesn't matter. Like He's probably a four in the NBA. I think we can all agree on that. But if you're going to play that position, you have to be able to stretch the floor like, now. Like, you like, have to be able to shoot a jump shot. Like Tom makes a good point, but and and the issue is, and this is up to Jackson Davis, and I'm I hope he's happy with his decisions and where he is at in his life. I'm sure he is. But if you want to play professional basketball, you can't be. Four you years you don't want to stay around for four years because what happens is you become molded to whatever your coach's coaching style is or play style and what is successful for your conference. Look at Luca Garza. Where's Luca Garza these days? G League. Luca Garza That's was a, yeah. setting a record every single game he touched the floor for Iowa, and Luca Garza could shoot. He stepped it. He stepped it out mm-hmm. beyond the three point line his last season. Now where is he? He's he's not playing in the NBA, which is probably the ultimate is, goal. But he's either G League or overseas. I don't. Yeah, I don't even know if he's G League anymore. I mean, he was Pistons G League. He's for a overseas minute, at least. But my, my my point is that he got molded to what was successful for the Big Ten, and that was this big bulky center who doesn't necessarily have to be athletic, but can put everybody under the rim and then go up and score, um, and then he extended his game beyond the three-point line. And same thing for Trace Jackson Davis, a center who can score and has a fantastic, or a center who can pass and has a fantastic post game as well. Uh, he's athletic enough to run a little bit more and go up and dunk the ball, but it doesn't translate to the next level. Hunter Dickinson is not going to translate to the next level. Look at Kofi Coburn. He has not translated to the next level. So, good point. There's a lot of great centers in the past. They've been fantastic college players, but we're joking if these kids don't dream of going to the NBA beforehand, and that's what everybody in college basketball is trying to do for the most part, and 
staying around for four years just doesn't work. No, not in the modern game, you know, and I mean, maybe his ceiling, I mean, he goes G League and, you know, he gets rotational minutes on some NBA team is probably the goal for a lot of these guys that stay, that grind out for four years and, you know, have a good college season in their in their last few seasons. And they, and they try to make that jump pro, but it's never going to be that jump to a superstar level. And even, and even when you relate it to Michigan State, I mean, the only ones that it has really succeeded for is Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. And Green stayed for four years in college back when that was popular. Maybe and, and, a little and bit. Draymond Green is a, is a unique Xavier position. Tillman left early, though. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was kind of a surprise to some people. And he's Xavier Tillman is successful. Jaron Jackson was here for a year. Yeah. He's successful. He's Miles star. Bridges was here for two years, and he was successful in the NBA. Cassius Winston was here for four, and he's overseas now. So, like, you see my point about, like, like there's not a negligible relation between how long you stay in college and how successful yeah. you are. I'm not, I'm not saying that staying in college hurts your NBA career. There are certainly guys who have been in – I mean, Steph Curry was in was at Davidson for three or four years and is the best point guard I mean, of all time. Yeah, you look at guys like Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, four-year yeah. guys at Villanova. They're great, well, exactly. they're great players there, in the There are examples of it working, yeah. but it just – It's a very select amount. I think the biggest thing is is because you lose those crucial development years that's, yeah. that you know come be- usually come between the ages of you know well, 18 to 22 yeah. where the biggest part of your physical and uh, mental development of the game is in place. It's not and, even that you lose those years. It's yeah. that you lose them to a lesser – I don't want to say qualified, but like there's a difference between getting developed by an NBA team. There's a difference between getting developed by the worst team in the NBA and the best team in college basketball. Absolutely. And there's a, a shocking difference. Even the so, G League that we're starting to see now yeah. with kids going right out of high school to yeah, the G I League, mean, they're still getting professional level development. Right. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, for example, you know, most recently I'm out of Michigan State, Max Christie, you know, he's playing with the South Bay Lakers. You know, he's getting minutes on the floor. He's getting some minutes rotationally with the first team with the Lakers and you're just seeing a if you put him back into college basketball right now you can see you're probably going to see a tremendous growth in his game yeah oh yeah tremendous because he's just getting trained day in day out by nba level coaches so yeah trace jackson davis is great he's a good story but i just i always think about that yeah no i, I, I you think you brought up you brought up a very too. yeah you brought up a very fair point brendan i thank you for sharing that cuz that was a good conversation yeah i and i think okay. it, it, to me it just all the way it still goes down to just at some point, he's going to have to develop a perimeter game. I mean, you're seeing right. it of all these big men that are coming into the NBA, right? Even the ones who are the ones you know it. Like, you're seeing DeAndre Ayton and Evan Mobley, these centers who have gone really high in the draft. They have, they're starting to, like, you got to get a jump shot. Like, you have to or else you're not going to survive. There's Yeah, there's no way to play in the current NBA without being able to shoot the ball. There's yeah, just none, not. None. And he, I, I don't remember ever seeing Trace Jackson Davis take a, even a mid-range shot. Like, like even anything below above the free throw line, I haven't seen even it. even I think Zach Eady will definitely translate better than any of the bigs that we just talked about: Coburn, Garza, Dickinson, Jackson Davis. Um, just because he's Travion Williams, <laughs> EJ Liddell, yeah, any maybe of those guys. He's seven four, but <laughs> well, that. But also, like uh, he has adapted, I think, better and more quickly than any of those other guys. His ability to not. To stay out of foul trouble, his ability to pass the ball, he's comfortable beyond the free throw line with the ball in his hands. He doesn't. It doesn't mean he shoots it, but I think he's more equipped to get there. You know what I mean? No, and he stays healthy. I mean, yeah, how rarely do you hear Zach Eady? You know, is out of practice, out for a game? Very rarely. No, yeah, at exactly. All. Well, let's talk about this. Actually, is a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk about, and this also has to do with what happened the other night. The centers for Michigan State, I, I put centers in, in quotation marks because are they really centers? We're not 100% yeah. sure. Center but on paper. But look, they, are they coming around maybe just a little bit? I mean, in that game against Indiana, we talked, or I mean, Tom Izzo even spoke about it, how both of the centers, obviously Carson Cooper right now dealing with a bit of an ankle injury, stepped on Monty Sissoko's foot in practice on Monday, or on Wednesday, I think, or Monday. Monday. Yeah, yeah, the, Monday. Day, the day before. He stepped on his foot on Monday coming down from a, um, a layup, and he rolled his ankle, so still status to be determined on that. But Jackson Kohler and Mati Sissoko both had stretches where they were 
really, really, really good. I mean, Jackson Kohler went toe-to-toe with Trace Jackson Davis like four consecutive times down the floor, and I think Jackson Kohler won every single one of those matchups. Um, and then, obviously, Mahdi had his whatever it was, just six minutes of insanity where he just was possessed for like six minutes, and then uh, we really didn't see him again the rest of the night. But I, are they coming around maybe just a little bit? Or uh, I think, was it like I a think, one-off? Real quick for what it's yeah. worth, I heard that Cooper's out of the boot. That's unconfirmed. But okay. Yeah, I mean. That's good uh, news. Yeah, yeah. It was, Tom mentioned that it was just a small little ankle roll. He'll be back soon anyway. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, no, the boot for precaution. But, yeah, to answer your question, Michael, I think uh, – I don't know if you could say it for all the centers, but I think one that surprised me the most is Jackson Kohler, and I think it all had to do with the energy that he had. He just looked a lot more active. He looked his communication was there with the team. Uh, the guys were surrounding him. He just looked more in tune with the game than he has in the past, and I think if you carry that confidence on, he's going to be a very good player for Michigan State next year. You know, and obviously, you know, it's going to be a lot of more competition. With who's coming in, but you see that experience uh, with with Kohler from day one to to from Tuesday night, and the the jump is big, and you, I like to see that from one of the younger players on this team. I think Jackson Kohler, and timestamp this if you want. I think Jackson Kohler has an opportunity to be offensively the best big man that Michigan State has had in a decade. Um, I think he has the heart and the fight and the emotion to work in the offseason and get there and, and kind of um, like exemplify the Michigan State basketball program um, out on the floor. And I think he already has the post game that it like it's it's well beyond his age already. And if he gets a little bit more in shape and he has can jump just a bit higher. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and he has an off season or two to in the weight room. Yeah. And extend his game five feet next year and then five. Yeah, more I'd like feet to see him extend his that. range because yeah. I've seen him shoot the ball. He can do it. It's yeah. just he's just not we usually see it on yet. like a one footed fadeaway, you know, yeah. that's from six Zach or eight Randolph's feet. Best yeah. Line, yeah. yeah. He's got to get to double digits, you know, ten, twelve, fourteen feet and be able to do it spot up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little pick-and-pop mid-range action kind of thing. Um, but I really like Jackson Kohler. I think he's going to get there and break records and lead the Big Ten and get some accolades for um, his ability to score the basketball. I don't know how well it translates defensively. If he gets in shape and gets faster and loses some weight, then certainly um, the defense can come around and the athleticism can come along with that. Um, but he's already shown good timing and good awareness defensively on a couple of these blocks. I mean, that block against Trace Jackson Davis the other night, which is perfectly timed in great position, and Jackson Davis is not an easy guy to do that against, and Kohler just read him like a book, um, and that is not easy to do. So I, I really like Jackson Kohler right now. I'm not trying to overreact to the season that he's currently having. I mean, it's very limited minutes and up and down for games that are good and games where he just kind of goes unnoticed and is a body off the bench. Um, but I think he has the potential to really be a star at Michigan State. Um, for Monty Sissoko, it's been a strange year, you know. Um, I feel like there were a lot of expectations after the first two games with what he could be, and they just haven't quite played out that way. But I really liked the – my biggest thing was I liked the emotion that we saw from Sissoko in that little four-minute stretch or whatever um, when he blocked it off the, off of Caleb Banks' face. Um, <laughs> that was just – Stuffing literally. That was just <laughs> and, crazy. And then falling into the uh, to the photographer just to he save just, a yeah. ball he going just, out of bounds. As, as Izzo said, he just annihilated Joey. Joey Hauser, yeah. who, who he said probably – like I think like Joey's still dealing with it. Like He's got a little yeah. more like a bruise around yeah. his eye. But um, hurt. <laughs> either way, it was good to see that emotion from Sissoko. I think that's an edge – of his that we maybe haven't really seen this year um, or not as much as we saw on Tuesday night. And so maybe that's a springboard for him uh, to to play better and be more of a weapon the next couple of games. We haven't had a, a Marty Sissoko game in a long time, no. it feels like, and we might be due for one. It, do, do you guys feel like, I know that there's this sentiment going around um, the fan base, but I wanted to ask you guys at least, 
Do you guys still think that Monty Sissoko should be starting these games? I believe so. I think just based on experience and uh, how well he's gelled with the starting five so far and to start games, I, I, I think he cemented his place in the starting five. I... I mean, I know you wanted to go small a little bit, Brendan, and maybe see him try yeah. Malik Hall at the five. Or I think if there's any games that you're going to switch it for, it's these next three. Because Iowa is not necessarily big. Neither is Nebraska, nor is Ohio State. And Ohio State, Zed Key's going to get shut down for the year. Too. Yeah. They're not even going to get smaller. There's three small teams who Michigan State, I think, matches up well with when they're small. So, like, if you... If you do start small and put Malik Hall in there instead, you're not giving up size. But also the advantage that I brought up with starting small is that you extend defensively whoever the other big is. And that might work, I think, against Iowa if you extend Robracha or McCaffrey out there. Um, But they still have Chris Murray and um, other guys in the wings who are going to be fine. I just, I don't know. It's just Malik comes in so quickly and they rotate so quickly that it doesn't matter much who starts. Monty's just really there to win the tip. (laughs) Yeah, for Michigan State, which he is, I want to check the numbers. I don't know that anybody records these. I might have to literally go back and watch every game. I think Monty's got a very good percentage with tips this year. Um, But that's neither here nor there. Um, As Tom has always said, and this is the way it's always been for him, it's about who closes the games rather than who starts them. And it's always been Malik when Malik is healthy. So sometimes Monty's out there to defensively, but that's more defense-offensive substitution. Um, so for starting purposes, I just wouldn't really matter. It, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much as a, as a fan. You know, it's it's about who ends the games, and you're not losing a whole lot when you don't start Malik, I feel like, mm-hmm. for the first three minutes, because by then he's in. and He's Malik, in by the first media timeout. Malik yeah. usually starts slow himself anyways, so it's not a huge loss to not start him. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think right now, I, I it would seem very weird at this stage of the year to all of a sudden just take Sissoko out of the starting five, especially because Sissoko has, if we're ever going to see another Monty Sissoko game, which you know we hope we do, it's going to happen because he just starts off incredibly hot. Right, He's somebody probably. that you need to get going early. Um, if you kind of if you brought him in off the bench again, I just I don't think you would see that type of production unless you were confident he could bring you. Like those little bursts that we saw against Indiana, like maybe you just go with Sissoko off the bench for like four minutes at a time and just get these little bursts out of him to try to just have him go absolutely nuts on the floor. Um, but I don't really know if you could bank on that if it came to bringing him off the bench. It's it's a totally different mindset and a totally different game at that point. Yeah, I think it's just... I don't know. It's just weird with Maudie. I just I think you you bring up a good point. With there's three games left in the season, like why change it now? You know, yeah. and yeah, and I don't I think, I don't think Tom is one to change too. it right away. Too, I think he loves Maudie. He yeah he 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 loves Maudie. I mean, he loves the kid. Um, he appreciates always his effort. You know, like we said before, you know, he's not the most talented player on this on this Michigan State basketball team, but damn it, he is uh, one of the most hardworking. And while the numbers may not reflect that. You can see it on the court. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this segment of the show, but let's get into a part that I'm really excited about, the Big Ten standings update. Uh, we are just about a week and a half away now from the Big – well, about two weeks from the Big Ten tournament starting. It's come up so quick. The season has really flown by. But let's take a look at some of the standings, see kind of where Michigan State is, what are still some possibilities for Michigan State when it comes to the Big Ten tournament. Right now they are still stuck completely in the middle. Um, they are among four different teams at 9-7 and seven in the Big Ten right now. But they are also one of, I believe, nine teams that could still finish second in the conference. Um, Purdue, obviously still in front, 13-4. and four. But how about the Northwestern Wildcats? Um, they are in second right now at 11-5. and five. They have a win over Purdue. If things go right, they have a 13% chance to still get the one seed in Chicago, which it, if you would have told me back in November... That I would have called you insane. That Northwestern would be in the top two. I know we talked about him as a sleeper for the top four, but for the top two, and that, it seems likely they're going That's to be in the crazy. top two. Yeah. The Northwestern Wildcats have had, and again, I don't. I hate to tell our listeners this, but we told you so. 
that loss to Northwestern in the Breslin Center was not a bad loss at all. Q1. Yeah. And Northwestern's going to be a tournament team, and they are going to be a hard out. I would not want to run into the Wildcats in March. No, not in the form they are right now and with Boo Booey. <laughs> Boo Booey. Um, but, yeah, so right now Purdue and Northwestern at the top. Obviously, those are the only two teams that are still in play to get the one seed. In the Indiana technically still can, but they basically need everything to go right, and that's unlikely to happen. They could have their chances end on Saturday. They're going to Purdue um, for a rematch in that game. But you got Maryland, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Penn State who could all potentially finish as the two seed. Nebraska, who's 12th, could still finish as high as number four. The only two teams that are completely out of it and are guaranteed to play on Wednesday are Ohio State and Minnesota. Those teams can't get any higher than number 12 um, because they don't have, neither one of those teams have more than three wins in conference. So it's absolute chaos. Um, Michigan State could still finish as high as number two, but still end up playing on Wednesday in Chicago. It's that tight right now. Um, but they're in good position, especially you'd have to like the last three games that they have to maybe bank some wins, hold their standing, uh, maybe get up into that you know five range. They could still finish in the top four, I think. It could happen. It's unlikely. They don't have the tiebreakers in the right places right now. But what do you guys just think about this whole jumble mess that is the Big Ten? One thing I don't get, I'm looking at the Michigan State net team sheet here, which has all the quadrants. That Northwestern loss is actually a quad two loss right now because numbers don't like Northwestern. Um, They're 38th in the net right now. Um, And quad one losses at home are only for teams one through 30 in the net. But it's weird the way they have it set up because one through 30 at home is a quad one loss. One through 50 neutral is a quad one loss game and then one through 75 on the road is a quad one game so a Michigan State loss at number 62 in the net Michigan is a quad one loss but a loss at home home to number 38 Northwestern is a quad two loss and for those of you that hear literally Spanish when I say all the quads and stuff like that it's basically just the way to to grade a win or a loss quad Mm -hmm. one is the best and like highest level of game you can play um and then quadrant two is next quads three and four your teams if you want them to be in the ncaa tournament should essentially have one or zero losses michigan state has one quad three loss and that's on the road against notre dame which like doesn't count for the circumstances of that game but um yeah, I, I'm surprised that that Northwestern loss is quad two. I just I don't get why it's one through thirty home, one through fifty neutral, and then one through seventy five away. Like, wouldn't it shouldn't it be one through thirty, one through sixty, one through ninety, or one through thirty, one through fifty, one through seventy? Or even if you're gonna go up to seventy five, do one twenty five, one. Like, why does it go from one to thirty, which is a twenty nine team gap, and then from one to fifty, which is forty nine, and then one to seventy five, which is seven? Like, you see what I'm saying? It goes yeah. up. From 30 to 50, which is 20, and then from 50 to 75, which is 25. I just don't. When you want it. I don't know. Maybe they think 75 is a nice round number. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the net is is honestly weird, like, for the most part. Ohio State was still in the top 40 as yeah. of a week ago. For the most part, the net is pretty good about judging the teams, and it actually is really good for prediction models, which is what the NCAA committee uses yep. um, when seeding the teams and what will make teams go far and stuff like that, why not? But, um, yeah, I, I really hope Northwestern is not a fluke and they can keep this up. I would love to see Northwestern in, like, the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight and Boo Booey in that kind of atmosphere. That would be run. amazing. Northwestern. Oh, my God. To see make a lot of to see that, that purple and white, you know, the Wildcats purple in the Final yeah. Four. Who knows? I guess so I'd cool. bring in Jay DeCoster, have him sing the Northwestern fight song <laughs> right here. <Did> see... <laughs> Yeah, uh, but no, it's been a special year for Northwestern, and obviously a lot of teams still... I mean, there's still a lot of good teams in this field. I mean, you're going to... This Big Ten tournament, I think, is going to be one of the more competitive ones we've ever seen. A a couple weeks ago, I don't think anybody would have told you anybody but Purdue was going to win it. But now it feels, especially on a neutral site, it's going to be... You got Purdue, Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers, and don't count out the Terps either... Yeah, they won't be on the road. 
Right. I <laughs> mean, might. I'm just I'm just not looking forward to filling out a bracket for this Big Ten tournament. This is going to be God. no fun. No, it's not going to be fun. Like a, a lot of us are going to be embarrassed too. And we are going oh, yeah. to do that here oh, yeah, live yeah. on this show yeah, in a yep. couple weeks, right before uh, we hit the road to go to Chicago for the tournament. We are going to have an episode where we're gonna we're gonna. Like, what about Illinois? Put her on bracket. That's Rutgers. what I'm saying. Like, Illinois and Rutgers, two teams that have been near the top all year. Rutgers is in a bit of a slide now. They're down to 9-7 and seven in the Big Ten. But even Iowa's a team who we know can catch fire at any point. Wisconsin's Wisconsin. Penn State's got one of the best players in the entire conference. Like, and they're always a, a menace in the Big Ten tournament. You know what's Penn State's just a menace. You know what's interesting is, Michael, you and I talked about this in Ann Arbor on the postgame show. Every projection I see has eight Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament. Right now, that would mean, like, Michigan that is That means Michigan eighth, right now, yeah. But has two more losses and two less wins than Iowa overall. There are, there are three teams below Michigan in the Big Ten standings that have better overall records, which is what the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament or the, the committee takes into account and... Um, Michigan, as you mentioned in the post-game show in Ann Arbor on Saturday, didn't win any of their big games this year. They um, lost everyone. But, like, is Michigan low-key in the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. I think, I think, I, I mean, don't I, think so either. So they would have to make a big well, case we could that. We could look around. I think they have to win They have Indiana, to win the Illinois. Big Ten Or, the, okay, here's the thing. They're going to have to win. They're I think, in if they beat Indiana, Illinois, I think, regardless. Those are both on the road. If they can the win both of those games and maybe get to the semis in Or even Chicago, end as finalists, that would probably make a case. That's I don't, more than, but but think, I don't even think, think about, that's strong It's a little different, case. but think about the COVID year where – Traveling Tra- didn't and, matter as much, but Michigan State had three, three big home wins in a row, wins and then lost the first game of the Big Ten tournament to Maryland. Um, yeah. So and they still, had to play in the first four. In. They got yeah. in. You know, I'm not saying Michigan's going to be in it like a four seed or whatever, but you know they 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 might be in. I mean, what do you guys think? So Purdue, yes. Northwestern, yes. Indiana, yes. Maryland, Illinois, Michigan State, and Rutgers. Those are seven guaranteed bids right now into the NCAA tournament. I are we saying maybe if if we're not going to go with Michigan, maybe as the eighth? Are we thinking maybe Iowa? I don't know that Wisconsin? Iowa's more yeah, of an NCAA yeah, no, tournament Yeah, no, I don't know if Iowa's schedule even Michigan favors just them. Literally going. has not done anything this year. They Michigan's just, also zero and four against the AP top twenty five. Michigan, uh, let's look at this. All of Michigan's Big Ten wins, except for Michigan State, are and one against Northwestern. Oh no, they they swept Northwestern this year. Actually, wow, Michigan did sweep them. That's kind of impressive. Iowa beat them though. I guess they beat Maryland too. Yeah, they they crushed Maryland, didn't they? That so of home. of Michigan's what is it? And they nine escaped Big Indiana Ten wins. Too. They're nine. No, and they seven. lost that game. They lost. They lost. One, two, Indiana came back and won that three, one. Three, four, five of their nine Big Ten wins are against teams lower in the standings than them, which is pretty. impressive. Not impressive, but also I wonder if that applies for Michigan State as well. Let's see, Penn State would be one, Nebraska would be two, Michigan technically is three, Wisconsin is four, Iowa would be five, Ohio State would be six, so six of Michigan State's nine. So, yeah, I don't know, Michigan's weird. They just don't, they have done I mean, has anyone seen a projection? They've done nothing important. With Michigan in the field? I have not, no. I have not, I haven't even seen them in the next four out. Yeah. Because there's the first four out and then there's the next four out. They're not even they're not even on the bubble right now. Is right. what I'm seeing. They would need to do work just to get in on the bubble and make it a conversation. I still think though. I still think if they somehow find a way. Now, what are the odds of them going into Assembly Hall and State Farm? That's what I'm saying. If they, if they those win games. those games back to back, and that's two games within four days at Illinois on March 2nd and at Indiana on March 5th. If they win both of those, they're in. I don't care. Even if they lose the next really? two, which is Rutgers at the rack, which I would just, be a quad one loss. I don't know Wisconsin if that's enough. Like, they'll, they'll beat Wisconsin at home. Yeah, they will beat Wisconsin at home. At least you would think they will. Um, three really tough they road beat games. Illinois from. and Indiana. Yeah, they're for sure in. Let's. I wonder what those games are. If let me find their thing. But you guys can continue. I just feel like they would need more than that in, in Chicago. I like they. I don't think they could beat Illinois and Indiana and then lose in the first round in the Big Ten tournament and have really a big argument. I I don't. I at least nothing. Nothing more than the first four. They'd have to go play in the plan. I don't see anything more than that. They, they just don't have the resume. Like, and again, they're not even on the bubble right now. Winning those two games, I agree. I think it puts them on the bubble. 
but I don't think it puts them like guaranteed in the field. You beat Illinois and Indiana on the road. Illinois is thirty four in the net. Indiana's nineteen. I know, but that's two wins. I mean, they're going to be up against senior night for boat like that. That's almost. They're going to be up against so many other teams and so many other conferences that are going to have so much stronger resumes than they do. I don't know. We're not just talking about those ten. I just it's tough, but. That's a topic for another day. Obviously, we'll talk about the Big Ten tournament and every team in it coming up here in, in a couple weeks before we head down to Chicago ourselves. But it's just time to look at Michigan State's final three games just kind of as a whole at Iowa. That will be on Saturday. And then Monday, they're at Nebraska. And then they get six days off before their final game of the year, which will be back at the Breslin Center. Senior day against the Buckeyes of Ohio State. What do you guys think? Realistically, they need to do like record wise. Go three and zero. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking. I mean, I was thinking I, two I mean, and I one. I could see them losing. I could Iowa, see them losing at Iowa. They should win that game, honestly. Yeah. No. I, I just have a feeling they're going to drop one of these. I, I. I don't. I don't think so. I really think that. I think they found a little bit more inspiration after the Indiana win, and I don't see them slowing down for the rest of the season. That's what I was going to say. I think the circumstances have changed. I don't think they lose to Iowa for sure. Um, they shouldn't. They should not lose. Absolutely, like they should not lose to Nebraska. Or yeah, Ohio State. no, those are those, those are, are guaranteed. Those wins. are bad teams. Burn, burn but Nebraska has tripped those. a couple teams up in Lincoln this year. Um, so you got to make sure you have your head screwed on for that one. But let's get into this Iowa game as we wrap up this episode of Impact Izone. Just final predictions for this weekend against Iowa, since we won't be back on the air before that game. Luca, let's have you go first. All right, I said 59-66 for Michigan State, and I also think Joey Hauser has another 20-point game. All right. Really? Wow. Yeah. Against Iowa. Wow. Put it on paper. Probably with Chris Murray on him. This, this is a weird Iowa team who doesn't shoot the three well. Um, it's very atypical for them, and Michigan State defends the three really well. I think this is probably a low-scoring game. Iowa is just so much better at home, though. They have one road win. Um, and that was Minnesota or Minnesota and Rutgers. Wow, they beat Rutgers on the road. That's interesting. Um, I still think Michigan State wins. I'll go 68-61. They pull away at the end. 68-61 Michigan State. So now it's all up to me. I think that they're going to win this game as well. As much as there's that thought in the back of the mind of seeing the games they've played in Carver-Hawkeye the last few times where they haven't come remotely close to beating that team. Um, I agree with you, Brendan. Andrew, look, this is a different Iowa team. This isn't those teams that we're used to seeing of old. Um, but I don't think that we're going to see the offensive explosion that we've seen the last two games. So I'm going to go with a lower scoring game as well. I'm going to go with Michigan State 64, and I'll take Iowa 60. I think it's going to be like that close um, come down to the wire. One of these days, one of us has to pick a blowout. Maybe against uh, Ohio State on senior day, I will. Yeah, that's going to be 85 to 42. <laughs> 100. Let's make it 100. 85 <laughs> to 2. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, that's going to do it this week on Impact Is Own. I've, of course, been your host, Michael Markach, for my co-host, Brendan Shabath, Luca Maloney. We will see you guys next week before senior day here in East Lansing. Hope everyone has a great rest of their day. We'll see you then.